Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Movies. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Doctor Strange. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Well, what we do on this podcast is pretty simple. Typically we talk about games, but this week we're going to be talking about movies. Um, uh, and also, typically, long-time listeners will, will recognize uh, that we typically open with, you know, our... I just said typically like 400 times in that sentence. Um, with our... Uh, you know, the D&D games we've been playing, what kinds of uh, video games that we've been playing. And while I have plenty of things uh, that I'm super down and super ready to talk about, we have decided to get right into our topic up front, Doctor Strange. Uh, all of you lovely listeners who are looking to tune in uh, to find out what happened on the most recent entry of Hell's Rebels, no worries. Uh, we are just placing that section at the end of the podcast. Uh, so... You'll be able to uh, to close out with lovely thoughts about Kintargo and Pathfinder. Um, but we are here. Doctor Strange time came out like a week and a half ago. Yeah, like, well, whatever. It came out a while ago. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's the most recent Marvel movie, obviously, uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, uh, a bunch of other people, Tilted Swinton, Rachel McAdams, etc. Um and tells the story. And Mads Mikkelsen. And Mads Mikkelsen. And, like, Chitowe. I never know how to pronounce that guy's name. Um, like, Chitowe I, I four or something. I Is that I, the guy who played Baron Mordo? Yeah, the guy who plays Baron Mordo, whatever. I can't remember. Well, he's not Baron, I don't think, in the film. He's that just Mordo. That is also true, yeah. Um, you know, it's about Stephen Strange, you know, arrogant neurosurgeon who has to humble himself and learn learn magic in order to stop... Kaecilius is, I think, his name, Mads, yeah. Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen's character from, you know, predictably destroying the world. It is a Marvel movie, after all. Well, um, like I guess a Marvel, we, like <laughs> any other Marvel movie, the villain's fairly forgettable. <laughs> we, yeah, we will we will plug a spoiler warning a little bit down the line, but uh, but before that, just baseline. Hit, hit me with your hit me with your best shot. Hit me with your thoughts. So I enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was exceptional. Um, it didn't blow me away. It is one of my the more so the the top Marvel movies for me are Ant Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. And I know that I know Ant Man's unpopular, but I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy is too contra controversial. It is actually very it is actually very intriguing to me that Ant Man is so unpopular. But go on. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's unpopular. I just think it's just one of those kind of like, oh yeah, and that's a Marvel movie too type. It's like things. yeah, it's like Thor two. It's just kind of like, oh right, that movie uh, came out. Like I, you know, I've encountered a lot of hate for Thor two. I always I watched. It, I was kind of like, well, that happened. Um, but uh, but I am of the opinion that there are no bad Marvel movies. Um, I could I could buy that. You know, like all all of the Marvel movies are kind of like fundamentally strong. Um, um but, I, I think uh, I think Thor and Captain America one are both kind of weak. Oh, I think Captain America one is garbage. I actually think Thor one is is pretty good. All all all, all things considered, um, it's one of the few Marvel movies which I think has gotten better. Uh, this almost always happens to me. Spoiler alert: It happens to me in freaking Doctor Strange as well. Um, that's not a real spoiler alert. Shit. I hope I didn't like get anybody to do that on the podcast. But um, uh. Typically, I see a Marvel movie, I come out of it, and I love it. And then, as I ruminate on it for a couple of days, it'll I'll just chip away at it slowly, right? Um, to the point where I don't I don't like it as much. Actually, this isn't even unique to Marvel movies. This, this happens in a lot of just like 
Disney movies in general, right? Yeah, Pixar, like the Disney Pixar, movie, The Force Awakens. Yeah, so Pixar, Star Wars, right? Uh, you know, Marvel. These are all these are all like Disney helped movies, and they all seem to really grab me in the theater and then just lose me as I think about it. Uh, kind of as the days uh, as the days go on. Certain other movies do that, but not nearly as consistently, right? Like Suicide Squad is a movie that I lost me over the you know that movie kind of transitioned from like barely okay to basically just bad um, uh, after after thinking about it for just any amount of time. But I, on the opposite ends, right? Like the more I've seen Batman versus Superman, the more I like that movie. So I think it's, it is a, it is an interesting phenomenon that I have no idea why uh, I, it kind of gets charted out this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, you know, I think, I think it's a good movie. Um, Dr. Strange, that is. Um, I, it has, the more I think about it, the more like, I want to say like, it's Iron Man 1 again, but it's been long enough since Iron Man 1 that I don't think that's really a problem. Okay. Um, like, it's... Like, obviously, there there are, there are tons of differences. I don't want to claim that they're the same movie, but, like, a lot of the structure is kind of the same. And the, the reason this, that this stuck out to me is that, um, as I understand, I'm, I'm not a huge comic book reader. Feel free to correct me. But um, Stephen Strange is generally not kind of, like, this sarcastic dude... Who built? He's he's always kind of serious and like um a, not maybe aloof is the wrong word, but like you know, um is like very uh um very very serious and and this movie was was kind of not that yeah um um and uh and he he kind of seems like a magic Tony Stark in in that way um you know in um. More so than say, like say Ant Man or um, or Captain America, because you know he is equivalently like a rich playboy who gets himself in a sh- situation and then becomes a superhero, um, and then has to you know save the world um, in some regard. And I I, I always thought that the, like or not always, but I, the, the more I think about it, the more it's like it, it seems like they were just trying to capture that again it's it's like can we use the same skeleton and then throw some cool bits on it like inception city building city bending and uh and you know psychedelic sequences because it's magic instead of technology so and this is gonna suck i i understand how much this sucks because i just asked for like a baseline impression and now i'm gonna criticize you for not being nuanced um i i've heard that a lot i've heard definitely people saying like oh it's iron man one again um, and while I certainly understand how, like, for kind of from a bird's eye view, you kind of get there, I think the actual brass tacks of the movie uh, and how it kind of progresses from point A to point B is where it differentiates itself. Also, I think the two characters are pretty different. I th- th- This is a problem that, that um, Marvel is kind of essentially always going to run into, in my opinion, because they are... I think one of the lessons that they took from Iron Man 1 is that every single one of their characters always needs to be quippy right every single one captain america thor right doesn't matter right they're gonna be they're gonna be quippy there's gonna have these like little you they're they're gonna have like these laugh lines um and uh and i think that fits very well for tony stark but fits horrifically bad for stephen strange right stephen strange is a serious guy he is a straight man uh, he, yeah, like he is the straightest kind of straight man, and I think that there is a lot of humor that 
takes advantage of that in this movie, but there's also some humor that's just, oh, God, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is so cringeworthy. Um, it almost... And- Go on, sorry. <laughs> well, and and um and so like when I uh so I like I understand why people see it that way, but I think I don't know and when when you actually kind of compare them on a like you kind of like line them up and compare them, they're not very similar at all. Just kind of the the general the general plot summary of an arrogant man, right? You know, is is you know is is humbled. Um, you know, a, a selfish man becomes selfless, right? That's actually something that is, it's not just an Iron Man thing too, right? Like that's what Thor is all about as well. Um, that's fair. Uh, and so, and it also, and so the other thing that bothers me about this is that like, this is also like kind of straight from the comics. So it's also like, well, what else are you going to do with it? You know, well, like, so, so, that, so, like that was, that was actually part of my question. Um, is, is he, is he quippy in the comics? Mm-mm-mm-mm. This is what, this is what kills me. No, he's not. He's not okay. quippy at all. Um, he is, so in general, I like this movie a lot. It's probably up there with some of my favorite Marvel movies. It probably is, man, I don't know that it's better than Age of Ultron, which is my favorite Marvel movie, but it's up there with Age of Ultron. Um, and, uh, uh, but I don't actually think that the movie is a very good, like, it, it, it isn't a good one-to-one of the kind of role Doctor Strange performs in this universe, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like, it's not like they took that character from the comics and transposed him one-to-one onto the screen, which is kind of fine, right? Uh, but I think I think Doctor Strange actually works his best in conjunction with other people in a universe setting, right? Doctor Strange as the... Um, you know, Doctor Strange as the magic guy that Reed Richards and Tony Stark have to go to when they run into a magic problem is really cool and really interesting. That is peak Doctor Strange, right? Doctor Strange is a member of the Avengers is really cool and really interesting. And that allows you to pair him, excuse me, that allows you to pair him up with Spider-Man, right? Who is funny and can play off of kind of the straight man bit. Um, so no, no, he is not very, he is not quippy almost at all in the comics. There's some humor in here that does uh, echo what you typically see out of Doctor Strange, which is kind of his like, uh, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a posh almost like sense of humor uh, about being, you know, too too smart, too cosmopolitan. Yeah, yeah. For, you know, like that 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 is a very, you know. Uh, I guess this isn't counted as a spoiler. There's a bit where he, you know, there's a there's a bit that comes up a bunch of times where he kind of comically corrects people when they call him Mister, right? That's a very Doctor Strange joke. It's not a joke because he's funny, right? He's not doing it for the laugh line. He's doing it because it really bugs him when people don't use right, the right. proper, you know, you know what I mean? Um, and, and that's the kind of humor that you know, like that unintentional stuff. I think is where is where he works. Uh, best, but like, dude, the the Beyonce thing, the Eminem thing, oh, killed me. That was, oh, <laughs> like, that was so bad. Yeah, I, so I I don't think there's a problem with turning him into this character. In fact, watching the movie, um, you know, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch did an awesome job, but I couldn't help but think that they should have cast Hugh Laurie instead. It's essentially <laughs> House gets magic powers, right? Yeah, like, it really is. It also kind of bugs me that they made him put on a, uh, an American accent. I actually really like the idea that he was an English 
doctor who came to New York for like all of the fame, and so he still had. I think Benedict Cumberbatch without his English accent is just kind of a lesser, like a lesser actor. Like, I don't know. I I, I, I thought it was fine. Like I, again, to invite the comparison, Hugh Laurie did the same thing for Doctor House. I I, I think it worked on him well enough. Uh, I think Hugh Laurie and uh, I think Hugh Hugh Laurie and Benedict Cumberbatch have different. Screen, like this is what like screen presence kind of is all about. Um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's screen presence, I think, comes a lot from the fact that his voice is specifically his voice on his frame, if that makes sense. Um, and so when you kind of mess with the voice and give me just the frame, it, it he loses a lot of that screen presence. Uh, I don't know. That's like, it, you know, that's like a really esoteric kind of thing that it's going to be super subjective anyway, but it is, I don't know, it's just how I feel about it. No, I understand what you're saying, but I, 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 don't, I don't agree. But, you know, Fair it's... I do have to say that I think that this is the best cast Marvel has ever put together. Um, I think that they are reaping the rewards of having the Marvel Universe, uh, and they can do stuff like get, you know... I mean, these guys are all, like, Oscar contenders, right? You know, like, look, I like Chris Hemsworth as much as the next guy, but if he wins an Oscar any time in the next 20 years, right, I'll pay you 100 bucks. Like, you know, that, but, but you know, Benedict Cumberbatch has been nominated for Academy Awards. I think Chitogwe I-12-4, I should look up how to pronounce that name. Um, he won one for um, uh, uh, 12 Years of Slave, I believe. Um, um uh, Tilda Swinton, obviously. First of all, she—that was the best performance any Mar any, of any Marvel character in any Marvel movie, uh, and she's just like, you know, amazing. Uh, Rachel McAdams, even though I don't, I have lots of gripes with her character. Not really with her, but like with her character, like tons of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I personally, I really liked Mordo. I thought Mordo was an excellent character. Um, I wasn't. Super big fan of some of the thing. Uh, this is this isn't a a spoiler, but um, there are things that happen after the movie proper in the in the Marvel splash scenes that I'm not a huge fan of. But I think that in the movie po proper, Mordo's a pretty great character. Also, um, it's been 15 minutes into this cast, and I think I'd be remiss um, if I didn't say that this movie is visually stunning. Like that, like that's e true. Like yep. its plot is. Its plot, in my opinion, is not very exceptional, but it is worth it. It's worth it, in my opinion, to go see it now in IMAX 3D for the visuals almost alone. Um, like, in kind of the same way that um, Avatar was not necessarily the greatest story, but looked so incredible that it was worth seeing. I, I think that you could, even if you don't like the story of Doctor Strange, I think the, the visuals are enough to sell it um, for, for a theater watch. Uh, so I'm reading. There's a pronunciation here. It seems to be Chuitel Edge E Edge. It's just a single I. I don't know what that Edgy Edgy O four Chuitel Edgy O four. I guess. Man, How do you I spell feel like it? I. Uh, C H I W E T E L is his first name. E J I O F O R is his last name. So. Oh. Huh. So, anyway, uh, I'm going to call him Chewy for the rest of the podcast. Um, I think Baron Mordo is also great. Uh, I, you know, it's very interesting to me what they did with Mordo because this doesn't feel like the Mordo for the, from the comics. Yeah, so, the other thing I want to say, I'm a big Doctor Strange guy. Uh, I, I don't have a super 
big connection to a lot of the like the mainstream like the the high rolling kind of marvel characters uh my favorite marvel characters it's it's like thor uh doctor strange uh silver surfer right like um and then kind of everybody you know like i don't really care about iron man i don't really care about captain america uh, Spider-Man, I guess, a little bit. The X-Men, like, who gives a shit kind of thing. Um, what so about I, Namor the Submariner? I do love Namor the Submariner. But, not, but you know, anyway. Uh, so, the the thing that... Um, the thing that that is interesting to me is that Baron Mordo in the comics... Was, so, Baron Mordo... There's a couple of different Baron Mordos, but the, the Baron Mordo that I like the most in the comics is kind of the opposite of the Baron Mordo we get in this movie. Um, the Baron Mordo of the comics follows the the you know the kind of archetypical like he trains and trains and trains because he wants to be sorcerer supreme and then dr strange shows up becomes sorcerer supreme and it's kind of fueled by that like jealousy but like it's also his willingness to break the rules you know what i mean that like makes him you know this this is why he becomes this is why he's a bad guy right this is why he cannot be trusted with you know the eye of agamboto and uh, and the vishanti who i guess aren't really mentioned in this movie but are the source of dr strange's powers and the people that you know choose the the sorcerer supreme right um you know, it's his willingness to, you know, it's his willingness to go too far, right? It's his willingness to use black magics and the forbidden arts, all this other kind of stuff. Doctor Strange, on the other hand, uh, for most of his comics career, is too straight-laced, right? This is why, this is what makes him such a great Sorcerer Supreme. It's like, he doggedly follows the rules. Um, and uh, and so they flip that in the movie, right? Because, um well, is I guess we're getting into spoiler territory. This is going to get into spoiler territory. But in general, they they flip that where you know Baron Mordo is is you know is a hardliner, right? And he is resolute, and he is stubborn, and he absolutely refuses to bend any of the rules, right? Uh, whereas Doctor Strange um, very much is in order to you know beat the bad guy, right? In order to uh, kind of and so that was that was an interesting. That's an interesting direction for them to go in. Um, but what I love about this, what I love about this is they're putting in the time to get you invested in one of their villains, right, before he becomes a villain. This kind of thing is exceedingly rare uh, in Marvel movies. The only other version of this I can think of is uh, the Winter Soldier um, uh, from you know, well, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And even then, you don't find out he's Bucky until the beginning of the third act in that movie. So it's not even like we know from the very, I mean, we do understand because anybody who has a brain and understands, you know, like the plot of that movie um, figures it out kind of thing. But in general, um, that, you know, in general, like that dynamic isn't something that Marvel has done yet. And so I'm hoping that maybe finally they will yield a cool and interesting, uh, uh, you know, villain to go into. Yeah. Um, you know, just to kind of like along those lines, I am less hopeful. Like, I, I agree with you up to the point, um, you know, big old, big old spoiler warning here because I'm going to essentially, you know, talk about the post credit scene. In the, in the post credit scene, um, where he kind of robs the powers from the 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 dude that's just kind of using it using the magic to walk. Um, one, I've got some kind of like uh, like story problems with that kind of power. It seems seems out of place. Like if you could just like punch someone in the stomach and steal all of their magic away, it seems like a lot of the earlier problems in the movie would be have been easily solved by anyone. 
Um, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, even it's like his like he went from like we can't break the natural order to I'm going to rob all the magicians of their magic. Uh, it's like uh, the, there was a step there that I'm that like you know you just didn't explain and it seems a little too too fast, right? Like mm-hmm. like the idea of a if a, a mortal who is motivated by like essentially preserving the natural order. I think is I think is interesting, but I think this kind of like leap to like straight like slightly whiplash level villainy. <laughs> I'm gonna steal away a cripple's ability to walk. <laughs> yeah, is a is a is a little a little a little much, and I, I I hope they walk it back a little bit in in whatever sequel they um they bring it out in. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I I think that they just wanted to show him doing something that was fundamentally evil i guess uh you know stealing a cripple's ability to walk right um without kind of thinking it through um i think it definitely you know it definitely shows problems uh, they also kind of don't really like give you a good motivation for like why he's doing it right like what rule you know what i mean like if he if if baron mordo's character is defined by his like you know ironclad resolute we cannot you know, we cannot break the rules. What rule is that character breaking by using the magic to walk, right? Do you see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, no, um, right, exactly. So, you know, uh, uh, although I am, I am near positive. I know what the, what the, you know, climatic scene of the next Doctor Strange movie is going to be. It's going to be Doctor Strange standing over or like standing over Mordo and he's going to say, the bill has come due, and like, like Kara's magical or some, you know, he's going to resolve the plot. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, 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 like he he said that line enough times that it's 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 going to get a dramatic reversal. I also think, God, see, I also think that line is really sloppy too. I just don't like the line in general. I suppose. Um, uh, I I think I think it's okay, and I, I like, I think the concept is good. I think the bill comes due is maybe a bad like a bad particular yeah, line to use. Nobody says that. It is not a common. I had to the first time he said it, I was like, "What did he just fucking say?" And then the second time he said it, I was like, "Wow, they're 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 going with it." <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it also it just doesn't fit the theme, right? Right. It's it's like mm. you know this is a world of sorcery and magic. It's like your taxes must be prepared. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I have to say, I I do like that in the context of, um, kind of Doctor Strange in a modern setting. Doctor Strange in the modern era uh, has kind of been defined by uh, the fact. This is spoilers for all of, like the modern comics, right? But Doctor Strange breaks uh, the rules of the Sorcerer Supreme a couple of times. Um, you know, there's this one. He, there's this one thing that he does, you know, he uses, like, a bunch of black magic, um, and then, like, you know, so he does something during World War Hulk, I want to say, where, like, the Hulk shows up and starts beating the shit out of everybody, and he, like, you know, breaks some unholy vial to get all of this, like, crazy demon power, and what, in any case, and then he gets robbed of, uh, you know, the Eye of Agamotto, um, the, the Cloak of Levitation, all the kind of trappings of the Sorcerer Supreme, uh, and other Sorcerer Supremes, 
take on that mantle and he's still like a, a like a powerful magician and everything like that but like it, it is almost like a second humbling for him right uh that he can't you know that even he can't break the rules or whatever um the coco levitation is, is is a thing for the sorcerer supreme uh i believe so i think that's i think he loses i think he also loses some other stuff uh you know like there's the wand of watum um uh which i'm so sad that they didn't uh that they didn't use any of this stuff um yeah, like the 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 eye of Agamotto. Like so, for reference to the audience, the only Doctor Strange comic I've read is the Oath because it was kind of listed as iconic. I wanted to read it before I saw the movie, and um, the eye and the cloak show up in that, but but none of the no, nothing else. The only they other refer- major yeah, device they, is they, like they, Hitler's gun. Yeah, they uh, they reference the Wand of Atum, um, uh, and um, the, the there are. A bunch of yeah, so I am right. He ha- he has to surrender the wand of Wutum, uh also, um, and then there's also like spell like the crimson bands of Cytorock, for instance. Uh, they didn't use that, which I was so sad about. It's like one of his like fucking signature spells. I love these spells, um, but uh, uh, but but the cloak of the ta- like cloak of the ta- just seems like such like a like a a a mundane thing to be like, and that's what the sorcerer supreme wears. Um, like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I did like the way that they played that movie where it was just kind of like a thing that was around that was like, oh, I guess this one likes you strange. Like, I, I thought that was a good way to play. Like, I thought, I thought it was appropriate the way that uh, the Eye of Agamotto is like the super special relic, whereas the Cloak of Levitation is just kind of like a thing. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, I really a bunch like of the, there's a bunch of them. There's the, um, like the bolts of Balthok. I want to say, um, there's a whole bunch of them. The flames of Faltine, man, the flames of Faltine. He always has these great sayings for like the shit that he's doing. Um, and they're always like alliterative. Um, he has a mirror and he has a mirror, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Mirror image one, two. I can't remember what they're all called, but anyway, you get it. Um, does he, so in the comics, does he cast spells on his own or are they all like kind of like channeled through like various sundry oh no, he he casts he casts almost all of them on it on his own uh stuff like the sling ring i've never seen the sling ring before uh but there's plenty of comics that you know that could be a very uh like mundane thing something i actually want to give dr strange a lot of props for is i like that they set out to define a lot of these powers right um to uh to make because it's it's easy to fall into the trap of like dr strange does does whatever the fuck he wants and to a certain extent that's what i do want out of some of this stuff but i really appreciated that you know the sling rings have a you know like the the, there's a specific function that goes on with them right um and uh uh these you know the the baron mordo has his staff thing that he uses to like like whip people um, just, you know, all of this other kind of stuff. I was, I was very glad that they kind of took the time to establish that stuff instead of just kind of creating new rules for the, for the fight. Um, and I also have to say, holy shit, these fight scenes, right? This is what, this is what places Doctor Strange firmly in, like, good territory. I think Doctor Strange had one fight scene too many, to be honest with you, and I think it has a couple of pacing problems because of that. But I will say that every single one of those fight scenes, oh, so good. Um, I was so happy that they really went, they kind of went for broke in terms of, okay, how can we create really cool and interesting superhero fight scenes with kind of magic as the, 
you know, the ambient atmosphere. And they really delivered on that. Um, even though they kind of didn't make so much sense. For instance, it was kind of weird that Mordo and Doctor Strange were running up, like, the, the, the skyscraper wall in, like, when gravity kept getting shifted around. When he's wearing the cloak of levitation. Why doesn't he just levitate? Why does he... What, why does gravity affect him? The same thing happened in, in the fight in his sanctum, well, I mean, sanctorium. He, 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 does, he does use it. Like, the cloak of levitation seems to be, like, I don't know. It, like, him and like and Mordo's, like, boots of spring and striding, whatever they are. Like, he, they, they use them to, to not, like, splat against the things. Um, But uh, maybe the cloak just isn't that... I don't know. The, the cloak's weird, too, because, like, there's that, there's that weird fucking slapstick s- scene... Where like the cloak keeps pulling Strange back to the to like the the body trap or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought the humor was much better in this movie compared to other Marvel movies. Marvel movies, um, I described this humor, <laughs> described this humor to a friend of mine as kind of being like, you know how in grade school there's that like one kid who gets bullied all the time, and then like one day the bully shows up. And is like about to punch him, and the kid punches himself in the face, and everybody starts laughing. So he keeps doing it. He's like, "Ha! Isn't this hilarious?" Uh, but he's like punching himself in the face, and just kind of like, "Oh, have some dignity, right?" That's how I feel a lot about some of these Marvel movies, where they're like making fun of the fact that they're comic book movies, but it just always like turns me off. I'm just like, "Man, come on, right?" And then they also do things where they the humor undercuts. Um, you know, like I always talk about it, like the context of stakes, right? But it undercuts the stakes, right? You know, like I don't, the tension of the scene completely goes away when, you know, Loki is about to give his like super indignant, I'm about to lose villain speech. Here is the entire reason that I've been doing all of this, right? So that we can close off, right? We can give the audience catharsis on his character arc, right? Why is Loki doing what he's doing, right? Let's answer this question definitively. But instead, they decide to sacrifice that important story moment for the sake of the Hulk getting a laugh line by whipping him around Tony Stark's penthouse apartment. And it's like, listen, I think that line is funny, and I laugh, but I don't think it's worth what is kind of being sacrificed in that moment. And there were definitely moments uh, th- where Doctor Strange got to that level, right? Like, inter- like interrupting Strange's first fight scene with Kaecilius to have that slapstick moment with the Cloak of Levitation just r- removes... He's not, he's not in danger. What's the danger? Why is Kaecilius waiting for him in the... F- you know what I mean? Like... That I ah oh god, it totally killed that whole thing for me. They avoid that in basically every other fight scene in the movie, um, yeah. which is nice. Uh, but ah, oh. also that it started with that kind of like bit, and you can tell that like you know I'm sure whoever they got to write the the script was very proud of that like line of jokes, right? Like oh. You know, Mr. Doctor, Mr. Doctor. Oh, you know, that's strange. No, no, it's strange. Well, I'm not going to judge, right? You know, like that bit is like, it's a funny, like it's funny, but it's so misplaced. Why? No, I, I, I thought that, I thought that worked where it was. Cause like that was still like before things had gotten like super real or whatever. Like that, that's like at the very, it's like, I think it, it, it fails to interrupt the fight scene cause it just kind of like. Has started right like that also gets paired with like the Doctor Strange picks up the glowing vase and like you know it gives it gives uh, Kaecilius pause because it's obviously some powerful magical artifact and then he's like 
Oh, you don't know how to use that, do you? No. Um, like that, that, like, I think it works there because it's like, it's not. That, in, that one, that one works in my opinion. I think, I, I think agree. they both work. I think that works because it's at the beginning, right? It's before things. It's not like interrupting the flow to like get a joke off. Like it's before the flow starts. So I think, I, I think it's okay. Um, like that, like the, 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 the name joke didn't bother me at all. The, the name joke doesn't bother me as much as the, the slapstick bit. The slapstick bit feels like you're sacrificing the, the kind of pacing of the fight, right? The tension of the fight, um, in order to get a laugh, right? Uh, the, the what, not, sorry, not the one, the vase thing also doesn't really bug me because even though. Like, even though it's, it's a laugh line, it doesn't actually remove any of the... It actually kind of heightens the tension, right? Um, and it plays into both of these... You know, it plays into both of the characters, which I think, that's fine, right? That's that's fine, right? Having banter between Captain America and Tony Stark about Tony Stark saying shit and Captain America going language at the start of Age of Ultron totally works. I think that is, yeah, is spot-on humor, uh, for that movie because it establishes right you know these guys have been working together as a unit as the avengers right uh and this kind of fight for them is just no big deal um and i think and so when you when when i can sell it to myself i suppose with that purpose um i it works uh, but there's just always got to be some of those lines that just like stop the the freight train of the movie dead, and I hate them so much. <laughs> it's in every you know it's in every single one of these Marvel movies. Frankly, I think that slapstick scene with with the with the cloak of levitation could have worked if it was maybe like a quarter of the length that it was. Like you could yeah. you could like like if it had been like one or two pulls and like uh, and then he gets it, it would have been so much better than like. A whole drawn out like fifteen seconds of him like struggling against the cloak for no, no good reason like that 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 was just a little too much. Yeah, and I also think that you could have rewritten that joke to be different, right? A version of that joke where the cloak of levit like okay like a version of that joke where the cloak of levitation is yanking him around in the middle of the fight in order to like save his life from these like reality spear things swords that they use or whatever right i think that's the same kind of laugh line but it fits the flow of the fight or like a version of it where the cloak of levitation is grabbing stuff this would actually be the best one i think the cloak of levitation is grabbing shit and putting it in dr strange's hands right so that he can use it against kaisulis but he doesn't know how to use it so he's just kind of like throwing these priceless artifacts and that's exactly how he wins the fight right the cloak of levitation puts this thing in his hands and he throws it at kaisulis and wins that 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 version of the joke would have been so much better it would have tied in with it god i'm such a great writer it would have tied in with the with the first thing about the vase right it would have established right like uh that it would have keyed into that same kind of tension of dr strange is not prepared for this and you get the exact same resolution where he hits him with that kind of strange i don't even know what that was like saw movie murder device um in order to cap it off, hire me, Marvel. <laughs> um, that actually, the, you you mentioned the reality spears, whatever the fuck they were. Um, so that this this is very 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 minor, but this bothered me weirdly. It's in the opening scene. Um, the librarian is decapitated with these two axes, um, and one that just like the, they do this whole ceremony where they like draw him and then. He gets executed and his head gets thrown into this cauldron, but it's like, 
there's there's no there's nothing to it, right? Like there's no like reason for that ceremony. And then they do a couple of like camera shots on like on those axes and like like they even show at one point him reaching for them and ultimately not pulling them out as if those axes are like a big deal and then you never see them again. It's it was just like it, it like it just stuck out as like particularly weird to me. Like there are a couple of uh, things like that where like the shot will linger on like him putting the mouth guard the, the mouth guard of that suit of armor in in the the dog's mouth. And I was like, "Oh, that means that, you know, like in in like, you know, in 15 minutes, like he's going to have to grab it out of the mouth and throw it on him or something, right? Like it's it it feels it feels like a lot of like weirdly unfired Chekhov's guns. Uh, uh yeah, so those shots are I I I noticed the exact same thing you did. Those shots are called like inserts. Um, and you, you include them when you want to draw specific attention, right? I think the insert on the thing, uh, was just kind of, I, I think it was there as like, a uh, I don't even know. I don't know why they had that. I, I thought there was, there's definitely, it is, 2016 has been a terrible year for editing, right? Suicide Squad had the most caught awful editing. And now this definitely, like, there were just a couple of places where the editing, I was just like, what? That's how we're ending this scene? Or that's how we're choosing to shoot this scene? For instance, there's this part. Oh, I can't believe they did this, right? There's this part with um, the sling ring where she leaves him on the top of Mount Everest with a sling ring to, like, force him to get it, right? And then they, they cut to her, right? And we're sitting with her to see whether or not he makes it through. And I was just kind of like, so I understand that there's tension here, Right. Because she doesn't know whether or not he's going to kind of like win this trial by fire. Um, and we're all just kind of sitting here and waiting and maybe he just doesn't show up. What does that look like? Right. Like that kind of thing. But wouldn't it be more interesting to sit with Dr. Strange as he actually figures out how to finally fucking use a sling ring? Could they just not figure out an interesting way for that moment to take place? It's just real weird stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. Weird stuff. Well, I, 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 I mean, when I was watching this, I was expecting it to be like some sort of weird subversion of the trope, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, like he doesn't show up for like twenty minutes, and then they, uh, or you know, or like <laughs> they this, have to go back and save him, or, or like, you know, like, like, like the subversion, like, like they go back to, the, they're like, oh, fine, I'm going back, and they go back and like, you know, the the way I predicted it playing out was something dumb, like you know, like they go back and he's not there, and they're like, well, where the fuck you go? And it turns out he's just like he teleported back to his room and he's like eating an apple in his bed or some, something like that yeah. right like to, to show him being arrogant because that that's what he does but it's just kind of like oh he, he just played played it straight weird like it it was it i agree with you it was it was very weird um also on, on kind of just the same note it's it's, it's less of like a, a story editing more technical editing thing um you know i said that the the movie is is brilliant visually except for there is one scene that like that threw me so hard. So, so when he, at the very end, when he's leaping into like the dark dimension, there's a shot of him kind of going through it and it's of his head. And like in the background is the dark dimension. And it looks so much like a headshot of Benedict Cumberbatch over a green screen. Like you can, <laughs> I, I swear I can see the, the fuck, like everything else sold me, you know, it's, it's a man in space. This particular shot is like, like, like just, I don't I don't know why it was, but it like it stuck out at me like a, th a sore thumb of like of you know like man in front of green screen. Yeah, 
Um, I want to complain about one more thing before I go back into defending this movie and why it's why it's uh, <laughs> uh, why it's so great. And the thing I want to complain about is Rachel fucking McAdams and the need for this movie um, to come back to her and his life as a doctor. So. Doctor Strange in uh, in the comics actually very rarely does it get referenced that he like was once like a prize prize neurosurgeon right like that that part is a bit of his origin story but like you also got to remember that his origin story is one issue of comic right and there are hundreds of others where he's just running around as Doctor Strange so th there's actually a couple of places where that that like that callback happens right um which is really interesting uh you're like Spider-Man gets gunshot and the Avengers you know they don't know what to do because they're on the lamb or you know whatever it is and then you know dr strange is like oh well i can handle this and they're like what he's like well i am an actual doctor and you're like oh right yeah he is an actual doctor right but one of the reasons that that is the case is that because it, it, like dr strange is the him being an actual doctor is not i think key to his character right once he goes to um uh i was man i was about to say nanda parbat uh that's the dc comics uh version of this um it's not Kunlun either. That's fucking Iron Fist. What is it called? It's it's uh well it's it's in it's not Catman too. Fuck what it would. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. There's so many of these like hidden away monast you know monasteries in the in the mountains. Um... <laughs> anyway, he goes to. Um... He goes to the Ancient One. Let's just use the person, right? Uh, he goes to the Ancient One. Kamartaj. Kamartaj, right? He goes to the Ancient One. Um, and th and while there, uh, he, just, he realizes that he can do so much more for the world by... Uh, becoming the sorcerer supreme right by learning by learning magic than he can by returning to his life as you know like as a neurosurgeon right and it very clearly lines up like selfless dr strange is a magician selfish dr strange is a neurosurgeon when he leaves back when he leaves behind the selfish part of himself he's leaving behind that life and so it was very weird to me that not only did they like make it go make him come back to being a neurosurgeon a whole bunch, right? Um, they t kind of tied him down with this, like, weird love interest, but who's not actually a love interest thing that Rachel McAdams is. And as much as I, you know, I, I, you know, and I have to say, I like certain moments. I like the idea that Doctor Strange, you know, has to try and you, you know, like, has to uh, try and save the Ancient One after she falls from all of these, you know, buildings or whatever with like conventional neurosurgery essentially um i like the i like the fight with um his that the astro projection fight i thought that was super cool but um i don't know i i thought it was such a wrong thing that they kept dragging him back to that hospital and to rachel mcadams if she wasn't going to be a love interest which i don't think she should be right i think dr strange it should be a not like a like a single man in the sense of like Tony Stark, ladies' man, but like you know he's he is not a romantic, right? He doesn't have he doesn't have a love. There's no Mary Jane, right? There's no there's no Pepper Potts, uh, even though readers will remember that Clea is a thing. Um, and I think that keeping Doctor Strange out of that kind of romance and fully immersed in this world of magic would have been like the better choice. Uh, it, to a certain extent, I don't know. I felt oh, God, man, her character just was so useless. 
to that movie. I felt like well, um, her, her main role is to be is to be kind of Stephen Strange's redemption arc, right? Like he is the one that he she is the one that he is arrogant to, and actually a really mean and biting way in that opening yeah. scene. There's uh, one of this is one of the things, by the way, that I think separates him from Tony Stark. Uh, I think Tony Stark is quote unquote mean to Pepper Potts, but it's also it's always a very kind of like playful teasing mean uh if that makes sense uh with between you know the part where he's like god man there's that line where she's like you know like what you know like i want you to do do whatever right like i want you to go back to your or like come in she's like i want you to go back to who you were or whatever and he was like you mean back with you or something right like i was just like oh like that was so brutal yeah (laughs) no he like I, but I, I think that's what she's there for, right? For him to be absolutely, like, absolutely, like, dastardly, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to repair that later. And I think that's okay. I do think that, like, like that weird kind of, like, suspended kiss, right? Like, right at the end. That was kind of, po- that, that was pointless. <sighs> yeah, I um, that. What, what, the, the Red Letter Media guys called, called her, like, her her job was like essentially like the not gay, um. <laughs> you know. See this. You know what kills me about Doctor Strange? Um, so Doctor Strange did, does have a Mary Jane, and her name is Clea, but she died. Well, it's complicated. She's gone, right? And so a, there's a long time in Doctor Strange's kind of like existence where he's just a basically a widower. Um, and I think that, that that identity is really great for him romantically. And I think it gives him a lot of pathos that he otherwise needs. Like, look, if you want to tell me that her job in the movie was to give him pathos, right? Was to be an inlet for empathy for him because he's such a douchebag. He's so unlikable in that in that first kind of bit. Um, you could sell me on that. But I think the way that they... The, but it's, it's not like a unique or interesting way to give him pathos. It's just like a... Why is she so? Why does she hate herself so much that she's willing to give this guy four fucking thousand chances? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, man. Uh, you know what? You know what I think would have fixed this a lot more. And this, this is a another problem in in a in a different sense. Is um, I think desperately they wanted like a montage or at least a signpost as to how long he spent at Comartage. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be a while. Right, like it was supposed to be months, maybe even upwards of like a year or two, um, and they never signposted. Just kind of go from one point to another, and so it seems like he learns all this stuff way too quickly. And yeah, yeah, like, so and then when they, he appears yeah. back at the hospital, she's like, "What the fuck?" And like, it's like he's been gone for like a week. It seems like, but if if but, that's but he's like, really only been gone for like twenty minutes, maybe in the movie. And I think this is actually a huge problem of the movie that uh, kind of undermines the plot in general. I think there are some kind of like. You know, there are some, like, major plot problems. For instance, the fact that he instantly knows how to use the eye of Agamotto just because he, like, twisted an apple. You know what I mean? Like, that is such bullshit, right? That that moment, if you wanted to reincorporate the fact that he's going to do this crazy time magic, which I absolutely think you should, because I think the whole fight scene that happens as the world is reversing is the best stuff. It's the best fight scene in any Marvel movie. Go suck it airplane scene um airport scene um because it's just such an interesting you know it's such an interesting thing right so it's such an interesting like setting to have your fight right um but you can't 
it it was introduced in such a mundane way that it no amount of attention was paid to the gravitas of what that kind of magic was like i felt like you know what i mean um you just kind of get some lip service about like oh forbidden magic blah, 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 you know or whatever but like it just really felt unearned to me that he was that powerful with the time gem and the eye of agamotto um at the end of the movie yeah, so honestly, like, when it happened, I thought, like, you know, they go through this bit, like, the relic needs to speak to you. I thought they were going to do a whole bit about how, like, the Aya of Agamotto had chosen him and... Like, oh, yeah, I know. This is, like, this is like the like, third like, one we identified, too, of, like, the moment where they, they tag something as important, right? They give you this phrase, the relic needs to choose you, right? And they never reincorporate it. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it, yeah. Worked with, it worked with the cloak, but, like... like uh, I, you know, that's fair. You're right. Um, I just, like, it would have... Been, like it would have solved this it would have solved this particular problem right here if they had done it with the eye too it's like no one's been able to control the eye of Akamoto like that naturally in years or so you know like even to throw it same thing with this, this time time thing right it could have been literally like a title placard that said three months later or whatever and it would have solved all of these like weird lingering issues that are like that are like like it, it's it's not like they're not problems but for their like exclusion of such minor things but they're minor details that stick out at you it's, it's, it's i don't know it's it's it, it bothers me i wonder if i wonder if we'll get uh, a director's cut of this movie i doubt yeah. it but i you know i honestly think uh, i i think they just and it's not even like the movie is all that long right it's an hour and 55 minutes you could have added 20 minutes to this movie two hours 15 minutes solid right you put 20 more minutes in the middle there of him just like going to wizarding school right um, you can give him, see, this, God, this is, uh, you can give him all of these spells that he can now reincorporate to, right? You teach him the Crimson Bands of Ciderock, the Flames of Faltine, right? Uh, you, you teach him or you, you kind of line out better what those, like, orange spinny discs are because it's not really well-defined. Like, those are kind of where things aren't super well-defined, um, you, uh, you know, you, you can incorporate the fact that this is all, like, forbidden magic. We get enough time in the middle there, right? To me, this is where it falls short of the kind of, you know, like, Iron Man 1, you spend a lot of time with Iron Man as he's just progressively building his suit, right? And the only, and, and it's just a, it is just, each new scene is three or four minutes of now he can fly. Now he can shoot lasers. Now the suit is red and gold, right? And it's, and it's a very, it's a very methodical kind of thing. And I felt in this movie, what it was is they like, they skipped over super quickly all of the Kamartage Hogwarts stuff um, in favor of kind of like ramping it up into acts two and three where the world is about to be ended. But speaking of Iron Man, I want to make this thing. Uh, I want to. I want to explain my point before. So the thing that that <clears throat> one of the things that works super well for me in this movie, and is probably the reason I rate it so highly, because I tend to overvalue this compared to kind of like the natural, the you know the 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 mean person, right? Uh, the average the average person is the theming of of the specifics of his character arc are super fucking solid in this movie, right? They are so solid and they're so good. So in general, right, we can we can say that, you know, Thor, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, they all have this arc of I'm an arrogant, selfish asshole and I, you know, my hubris brings me down to earth and I, you know, defeat, defeat the bad guy because I'm willing to be selfless and be a hero, right? Um... 
and in the broad scope of things that is what happens but in the in the specifics right like the the hubris of thor right the specific arrogance of thor comes from his entitlement because he's the prince of asgard and he knows he's going to be king so he feels like he can just do whatever the fuck he wants with no consequences and that's how and it manifests like in his kind of like in his like recklessness i guess um tony stark right his arrogance comes from essentially denial right uh because the, like the fall that happens is guilt Right? He becomes guilty because all of a sudden he's aware, holy shit, you know, my family has been building these these crazy weapons and that's terrible. And I feel super guilty for uh, uh, I feel super guilty for that fact. And so I'm going to change my ways. Doctor Strange is motivated by his own fear of failure. And they touch upon this in a bunch of different ways. It actually gets a specific call out somewhere in the middle of the movie where she's like, you're afraid to fail. Right. And that's what drives you to be so good. Um, is because you never, you know, you never want to not succeed at something. But the way that Doctor Strange beats Dormammu at the end of the movie is by failing, by losing over and over and over, right? He doesn't, he wins that fight, essentially, right? By losing that fight an infinite number of times. And that as like a, them, like a thematic point of like, it's okay to lose sometimes, right? It was so well delivered. There's the whole part where, um, you know, the ancient one, she dies, right? She just, she, she dies and Dr. Strange is everything he can, but he can't save her, right? He fails. But in that moment that they have where they're like watching the lightning bolts in like super slow motion or whatever is the moment that proves to Dr. Strange that it's okay to fail sometimes, right? And so that, that kind of course getting plotted throughout the movie um, is what is what really draws me to it. And I think is what makes the big difference um, when uh, when people are making their comparisons to, uh, you know, like to the Iron Man 1 kind of Tony Stark stuff, right? I think I think they don't do themselves the best, you know, they don't do the best job of kind of denying that stuff, right? By turning Doctor Strange into kind of like quippy about Beyonce or whatever. Um, I think that they invite some of these comparisons, but when you actually kind of line up the plot points and like the characters and you chart out their motivations and their goals and what their arc actually looks like in the specifics of the story, you actually come away with two pretty different people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I thought that, uh, I, I thought that his, his motivations were, um, interesting. We're, we're, we're really kind of humanizing in, in a way, right? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like they they also um, kind of re reflected well against kind of like uh, this like, like I think they complemented Mordo's theming well um, because like that's like that's essentially like you know like you, you could easily see how you could twist like the uh, like the fear of failure to willingness to do things that you shouldn't do which is kind of core to you know core to you know what Mordo, you know, what you know Mordo's motivation in Corda, like you know that scene where he's like the, the, the she's been using this dark magic even though she tells us we shouldn't, right? Like like that's uh, you could see like you could see how, how that all all ties through. And I, I think that's and you can well definitely done. see yeah, and you can definitely see how that you know how because Doctor Strange fails every or sorry because how Doctor Strange orients himself right entirely in this kind of like success failure 
mindset, he he gets it. But I don't think Baron Mordo does. And I think and I think that really speaks to kind of how interesting those characters are. Um, that you know, it it really worked for me that they both looked at this exact same event, but because they kind of created the right psyches for these people and plopped them into their brains, it it was perfectly acceptable. Uh, I guess that uh, that Baron Mordo, um, uh, that ba- Baron Mordo felt really betrayed, and Doctor Strange was like, "Huh, that makes a lot of sense." Yeah, no, absolutely, especially. Uh, uh, it was it's funny too to see, um, you know, the it, it's played for laughs, but I think it's important in this kind of context as well as when when they unfreeze um, Wong, and he's like, uh, "I I did the time magic," and he's like, "Well, don't stop, right?" Like the like yeah, like kind of you know, like it, it feels like that's like you know, I, I, Wong's supposed to be I I feel like like beyond just like a Stonewall straight man, like uh, a, a more wise and learned character, and like the the fact that he sees the value in that too, I think is, is also key in kind of. Reinforcing for Strange that he's doing the right thing, and also reinforcing for Mordo that it's like him against everybody else, um, even in, the, in in that tiny way. Um, um, I also just realized that that Wong is is the name of the. I don't know if he's like a long term sidekick in Doctor Strange, but he's the sidekick in the Oath um, that that has the. Yeah, cancer. no, he he is no he is a long term sidekick to Doctor Strange. Uh, very very not PC termed manservant. For a long time, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it, it's funny looking at the history of this because I feel like a lot of these, a lot of these comics that have like their origins in the mysterious Orient are like eh, you're playing with a little bit of fire there. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. These, yep. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these things really don't age well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, um, we we've talked about this off camera, but like listening to the different writers talk about like the problems with the ancient one as a character is just like oh, it's got to be you know uh, updating some of this stuff is hard. Yeah, I I definitely agree. There's the part where like Robert C. McGill uh, basically says, um, uh, it is a lose lose. Yeah, he calls it, he calls <laughs> it the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, the Kobayashi Maru, right? It, all of the options are failure. You just have to pick one, right? And I think, I think that really speaks to kind of the uh, – uh, because I don't – it is – man, I, I do not envy those guys. Uh, I actually think that they came out of it with a pretty solid uh, uh, state of affairs. Um, I agree. I actually, it, I'd they, actually be super interested in like a – like a uh, what's it called like an agent carter style like adventures of the ancient one back when she was like a celtic sorcerer or whatever yeah uh, me and jeez god tell me about it um tell me about it uh, i i am a big fan of uh uh i'm a big fan of tilda swinton and i'm a big fan of the ancient one in general i thought she brought the ancient one isn't actually around or, or referenced very much in the comics he kind of comes back and he kind of like comes and goes and everything um but uh i thought she did such a good job job of making that kind of like otherworldly mysterious duplicitous mentor character extremely human right like that 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 was a real person and that it wasn't just kind of like a collection of tropes in some actor's body, I guess. Um, I don't know. That is, 
that is that is how I felt about that's how I felt about that. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I like I, I don't like even even um even the villain who who I can't remember his name anymore, Mads Mikkelsen. Kaisilius. Kaisilius, right? Like even even like I think he's well portrayed. I I think all these characters are are well acted. Even even Dormammu for as little time as he is on screen. I love Dormammu because I love the pulsing face. lines on his face. Yeah, 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 that is something that's really cool because in the comics he just has these lines on his face. Um, but the fact that it's pulsing, I I actually thought that all of the visuals of the dark dimension stuff were just so spot on to you know like Doctor Strange's visual shit should be a fucking acid trip, and they made that work super well. Yeah, um, especially especially that initial sequence where she like punches him into infinity. Um, yeah, yep. I thought we were actually going to get some things where like they go train in infinity for a while, but I guess that wasn't in the budget or something. Mm. Uh, they didn't want to run into they didn't want to run into uh, like like the Green Lantern problem. Yeah. Um, Anyways, did you did you have any other thoughts, on Doctor Strange, you wanted to before we moved into our weeks? You know, not really. I guess I like Doctor Strange a lot. Everybody should go fucking see it. Go see it. Go. I do not often recommend going to see things in, in in you know special modes, but I do think you should see this in IMAX. Um, and I think it's only available in IMAX 3D. I'd recommend it in IMAX 2D if if otherwise. But it's 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 worth the picture quality. I think. Um, and there are two post-credit scenes. So there's one in the middle of the credits, and there's one at the end of the credits. Um, I like the one in the middle of the credits. Wasn't a big fan of the one at the end of the credits. I like the one in the middle of the credits, but you could totally tell that it was Chris Hemsworth filming, you know, some other, you know, like they put him in a chair and filmed it, and then Benedict Cumberbatch yeah, yeah. they put him in a chair and filmed it, and they weren't in the same spot, right? Like it wasn't the two of them in a room together, yeah, yeah. which like bugged me. It reminded me of those segments of, like, the Weird Al show where he's, like, talking to Eminem and Eminem's clearly not there. It's just Weird Al being like, huh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. That's funny. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Exit movie. Go see it. Um, and now we can talk about our weeks. Um, we didn't play uh, Rise of the Rune Lords, but we did play Hell's Rebels. Um, a very excellent play, if we will, of, uh, it was a short session. We, uh, convinced, uh, Va or we, we resolved the issue of Cassius Vasquez, um, and, uh, uh to, to kind of summarize, we, uh, we, uh, what, we, we opened up the session and, um, we had to deal with some, uh, what was the first thing that we dealt with? Because I remember, our, oh, we dealt with leveling up. That's what took the time in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I had forgotten. To, I had forgotten to report that we had leveled. Uh, so we spent the first bit leveling up, and then the second bit was about the choice. Right? Is about do you want to go forward with Mateo um, on your team, um, and essentially, um, you know, persecute this guy for being gay essentially um or do you want to get get him his imprisoned homosexual lover put him on a put them on a boat and he's now on your side basically um but i think that the 
I, I've been waiting. Th th that's a choice that I injected a long time ago, right? The original choice is in in the book. It's very similar, but there's it's just Cassius Vasquez or Cash. He's called Cassius something different. He's like Cassius Sargata or something. He shows up. <clears throat> he shows up, but um, you find out about Markel Alorian and you hook the two of them up, and then he just like joins the rebellion. Uh, so I exploited that to kind of create this dynamic, right? Like. Ca you know, Cassius is shittier than he is in the book. Uh, he is a worse, he like, he's a worse guy who appreciates the tyranny of Chiliax, right? He just specifically hates the tyranny of Asmodeus, right? But there's a huge benefit, right? This warship, you know, are you willing to kind of sell, are you really kind of like sell yourself out for that power? Um, and I have to say, I was interested. I expected you guys to sell out. I thought that, I thought that Beauregard was going to say, well, Scourge of Belial, really fucking powerful, solves our problems better than Mateo. Mateo, you're being a bitch about this. <laughs> Out. Like, <laughs> if if House Alorian wasn't involved, right? Like, if it wasn't, if we didn't need House Alorian to, like, to flip, to flip Kintargo, I, yeah. uh, like, Beauregard totally would have been on board, but, like, that's, like, that's the most now, important I say, thing. I have to say, that was extremely well played. That was... I was kind of also hoping that that would happen just so that I could have the kind of like throwback of you fucked the, you know what I mean? Like when you actually need them to get on board with the board of governors and vote your way, right? All now, now you have a problem that you created with your carelessness, essentially, by not dotting your I's and crossing your T's and thinking through kind of the whole the whole problem, right? I was so excited for that moment because I feel like moments like that are are they they feel unfair if I kind of manufacture them for you, right? Like if I force you guys into a situation like that, um, it kind of it doesn't feel earned. But a, a world in which, right, like I give you a small piece of information, you know. A dozen sessions down the line, another small piece of information, and if you connect the two of them, you realize that another dozen sessions down the line, there's a real problem for you, right? Man, I, I was so happy that I created that. No, but, I, you know, you guys are good for thinking thinking it through. Well done. Well played. Oh, So, I, you know, I, I always, like, you know, not, not that, um, I think that it's in kind of like a very interesting character way, right? Like... You know, Weirin and uh, Maragrug can kind of like if you phrase things the right way, you can kind of get their characters to to do what you like. Like this, this is kind of like why I'm enjoying Beauregard so much. Is like Alaric's like like fiercely logical. Is like these are the best optimal things to do. And Beauregard sweeps in and is like, but how could we betray Mateo, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's, yeah. and, and more, we're in America we're like, yes, we can't betray Mateo. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that is just certainly, that is certainly a piece of it, right? Like Mateo has very obviously been a big moral center for, uh, for the rebellion and is, um, pressuring is the wrong word, but it's kind of, he's always the advocate, so to speak, um, for, uh, for you guys doing the quote unquote right thing, even if it makes it tough. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it was, I, I like it because, like, you know, there's like all these multifaceted aspects to to this deal, right? Like, there's, you know, Cassius versus Mateo. There's just the warship versus the the Fortis, which is, you know, well related, kind of different consideration points. There's um House Lori, like these kind of like the the long term problem of House Lori versus the short term problem 
problems that the scourge of Belial could solve. And like, you know, from like, from, you know, from, from the perspective of someone who wants to play someone who's manipulating these things, like I could choose which of these things to focus on. That'll get the votes that I need. Um, whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, like, uh, in, in like the normal game, it's right. It's or in, in a normal type of game. It'd be like, well, there's kind of one decision there. It's like, if you know, you make it very binary. It's like, oh, we should help Mateo type type of deal. Although I did like that you like like you said you've made it a, a devil's bargain kind of because like in like the both in universe and kind of in in you know like the our you know our real world sensibilities the thought of like selling out um, a person to to like persecutive elements is like kind of like wretched. But like you know, yep. there, there's that, that was <laughs> that was that was intended to be a bigger thing. Um, just like I was, I, you know, I feel like this is if if Hunter was still in the party. Right? Oh yes, if Hunter was still, he, in the- he would have been like, "Are you kidding me?" Right? Like we are going to you, you know, like we are going to use the fact that the Church of Ismodius persecutes homosexuals to actively persecute homosexuals. In order to further our aims, that is horrifying, right? Like, uh, I think that, that it, it never came up, uh, which is which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I actually kind of want to dig in on this a little bit because we, we 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 had talked okay, about sure. this maybe a year. We ago. have talked about this. We've actually talked about this on the cast, by the way. I think a little bit at least. Did we? Um. But uh, so in a very different context, but the same kind of general themes, right? Yeah. So I I think so. So, so, so why, 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 why don't you set this up the way that that, that you envisioned this? Because you, you okay. So here's the thing, right? The first, um, okay. So uh, what initially happens um, is uh, there there is no the, the Church of Ismodius doesn't care about any of this stuff, right? Uh, Markel Aulorian is being held in his house because he's the poison pen of Kintargo, not because he's he's being persecuted by the church um yeah that by the way it's also the other half of things right like are do you want to free someone from active persecution right he's effectively in prison under house arrest uh because uh because of his sexuality uh anyway um so but like and so that wasn't there and i was kind of thinking about it i was like man you know the Church of Ismodius is an evil entity, right? It's an evil organization. They should persecute people just like our real-world churches do, right? They should persecute them for being homosexual and having, you know, a, 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 a sexuality that isn't in keeping with, with their ideals, right? Um, and that leads itself to a very natural decision point of, okay, well, if you include that bit, right? These guys are, the, the Church of Ismodius is intolerant, right? This all of a sudden gives the players, the rebels, right, a lever to essentially beat the church with their own intolerance. You do see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that as a moment is very satisfying, right? It, it feels good to beat the bad guy because of his shitty character traits, right? Um, and I think that, th- that this is in, in, entirely in keeping with kind of like that principle. Um, but it also kind of sparked an argument between us about whether or not it was smart for there to kind of be like um, – for this to be a world where – the Church of Ismodius is tolerant. Or for this to be a world where 
you know, generally speaking, in, in Pathfinder, sexism doesn't exist, right? Kings, queens, nobody really discriminates based on um, uh, gender. gender. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know. What, you know... So, so, so my, my, my initial reaction is, well, obviously, I was missing a whole lot of context the first time around mm-hmm. because I can't have the context, otherwise... It's yeah, th- 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 this, is what made this, this is what made this so hard, is because, like, I was thinking about of it in this context, right, about specifically using it, but I couldn't reveal any of that because it was all spoilers. Which is, I think, how we actually ended the argument was I basically said, listen, I can't... Just wait and see, and yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> um, so, I, I do think that it's, like, you... I do think it's interesting to have, like, a world where, like, that's not a problem, right? Like, so, I, I was thinking about this a little bit because um, I was reminded by uh, – of, of an episode of, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where um, – just as kind of like a little um, little backstory, um, I, uh, uh, you, you can uh, – like, there's this race that's uh, – a race that's, like, these humanoid bodies – but there are also um, there there are these uh, these thing called symbiotes. Um, they're like little slugs that live inside of them. But there's many many more host bodies than there are slugs. And the host bodies are regular, or, or like are fine and they can live their their lives. And they're, they're effectively humans with stripes on them, um, or spots. They're like leopard spots. But yeah. if you've if you've got a symbiote in you, you li- you you know you've got this vaulted position in society, and the symbiotes are effectively immortal. Um, like age-wise, and every time a host body dies, they transfer the symbiote into a new body, and um, in the new bo- and when the symbiote's in the new body, it has all the memory, all the previous memories, or like most of the previous memories. It's it's kind of like a it's it's a character thing for for them, um, but um, one one of the uh, one of the plots of the of this uh, of of this episode of Deep Space Nine is that. Um, well, Jadzia Drax, who is one of the main cast members, um, meets up with, or, or rather, a former, uh, another one of these race comes uh, comes and visits the space station, and okay. it turns out that that one is another symbiote, and in both in past hosts, they were partners. They were they were they were a couple. Um, and now in the, in the, in the present, they are both women, and they're feeling this spark between them. And the problem, um, socially, isn't the fact that they're women; it's that there is this strong taboo about hooking up with somebody that you were hooked up with in the past life, like such a strong taboo that you're willing that they are willing to exile. If if this if they are public about this, they will be exiled, um, and exiled in such a, like a weird way because like like you know the symbiotes are few in number and the loss of any single one of them is viewed as kind of a national tragedy. And this is such a taboo that they're willing to essentially discard two of them for this taboo. And, and obviously, and like the obvious Aesop is that like, this is a strong metaphor for, um, for, for, you know, uh, homosexual, um, persecution in, in society, right? Like they, this happens to be a homosexual or they, they have male, female form. So it happens to be, um, a homosexual persecution, but that's not why the persecution exists. It's just kind of like a, it's it's a, it's a very very clear metaphor for it. Um, and I think that in fantasy and sci-fi, those types of opportunities can kind of be like, I like I like those things because when you when you see it, even though it's very obvious, you'd be like, oh, I'm very clever. I saw what they were doing there, right? right. So like, 
Um, not not that I think that the way you did it was wrong, but I, as an alternative, I could I would suggest something like the reason they can't be together is because Cassius isn't a noble or something, right? And that's why the, the state of the church has a problem with it. And then you could be like, and they're both men, but that's not the problem. And then the players can be like, oh, we're very clever. <laughs> we see through your metaphor. Um, and and you know, I, I, I just thought that's man. Okay, I, I actually do kind of I think that's interesting. And I think I do think that I, I do like it when it's clever uh and kind of like because I think it hits harder to a certain extent. Uh well, okay. I think it's clever because it kind of like tricks you into it, yeah. if that makes sense. Um but I think it hits harder if you just do real world actual persecution, right? The the idea that you guys are you know, like if this kind of comes up you know, and Pathfinder, you know, Pathfinder also has a really weird because, like, racism. racism first of is all, real and accepted. racism is real, accepted, and it also like all of the terrible things that actual racists say, right? Like how you know, like you know, like a white nationalist would say, like, oh, you know, black people are just more aggressive, or they're more, or they're not as intelligent, and that's why you know, any you know, any number of these things, right? Just because you know they are racist and wrong scientifically, but like. By Pathfinder, right? Like an elf is legitimately smarter than you, right? Like, like that's but they are wasted, yeah. Built into their race, so it really kind of muddies the waters a little bit on how much you are you can actually use those kinds of. Uh, I, and, and uh, even, even <laughs> like, like these less kind of like subtle phenotypical things, right? Like, <coughs> excuse me, straight up, like you know, orcs are evil. They have like a little block of text on that says that orcs are evil. You know, there there are beings that are like, like they are literally made of evil energy. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like if you walk up, if you walk up to an orc who is a sentient living being with, you know, motivations, potentially a family and a tribe, and whatever, and you stab him right in the neck. No one's gonna bat an eye because that that's okay, right? Like, you are ridding the world of objective <laughs> evil in this kind of case. Yeah. So, like I said, there is a very it's it's hard it's hard to do this stuff sometimes. Uh, but uh, uh, I think you really you like really can do it with homosexuality, and it's such an easy in for this game specifically because like the Church of Ismodius is evil, and it's you know like and them persecute like it's just such a it's such a like a perfect kind of like yeah. one to one. Um, I, I, see I, what I don't, you're saying, I don't yeah. think a ver yeah I don't think a version of this works in a world where like the Church of Ismodius is like aggressively aggressively sexist right because most churches aren't aggressively aggressively sexist right um, and uh, and so it doesn't quite like right but like when, in a world with the Westboro Baptist Church right in, in a world where basically you know. Well, whatever the case may be, Th that, that's why I wanted to make it. Uh, I wanted to make it what it was. I also wanted to add in all of those kinds of different angles because I like the idea of you of two people arguing opposite points, but like kind of on different axes, right? Like the version of the argument that happens when it's like the scourge of Belial would be such a huge upgrade to our fleet, and, but then it's also like sure. Right. But also we're shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to getting the board of governors to secede from Chiliax. 
right? And those those two things aren't on the same axis, and so they can kind of both be true at the same time, but you have to, like, argue the pluses and minuses. I think that, you know, like, there's a version of this that's willing to kind of roll the dice and say, you know what, we are, we have to live in the moment, and we have to solve a now problem that gives us a now benefit, right? Because until we defeat Barzillai Thrun, it's not even on the table that we're going to be able to secede uh, to secede from Chaliax, right? So future us will worry about that problem. Now us is going to take advantage of this. Um, and I and I thought that there were just like so many different uh, angles to approach that from that. I don't know. I like that choice a lot. And this is almost why I was kind of so willing to discard the back half of that session. Because the back half of that session was just you go to the Aulorian estate. You fight some volatile hellhounds. Have you guys fought Villano Hellhounds yet? I don't remember. Well, maybe this would have been the first time that you see those. I created a bunch of... There was like a spree somewhere, maybe like two or three months ago, where I kind of created all of these custom monsters. Um... Volatile Hellhounds, if you have met them, are the Hellhounds that bite you and then explode. Uh, I think, uh, and I then think they, we have faced them. And then they leave like behind a big thing of fire, and they will reconstitute if you... Uh, well, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, um... Uh, for those of you who did not watch this session, we sidestepped this by Beauregard saying, I can forge things real good, and I forge things real good. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's also funny, too, because it doesn't uh, – the other half of that, too, was about, like, Markel, what happens to Markel. Um, now that it's public that he's gay as well, is he going to get persecuted? You know, like, how, how many, you know, innocent people are you going to throw under the bus kind of thing? I don't know. Nobody brought it up, and I wasn't going to mention it. That was that was purely in like the territory of, is this something we need to worry about? Who knows? <laughs> yep. No, I I, uh, I I have in the back of my mind a plan to kind of like, you know, twist this in our favor too. You know, like being like a and the Church of Asmodeus persecutes the gay people, and isn't that terrible? <laughs> I mean. You know, I think that's totally all, you know, I think that totally works. Um, encouraging, encouraging Bars Lythroon to be a piece of shit and then calling him out on his piece of shitness, right? You know, I think that kind of baiting is, you know, it is right up uh, uh, this this campaign's alley. Yeah, if, if Beauregard thought he could get away with it, he'd disguise himself as Bars Lythroon and, like, murder an innocent hobo in the middle of the street just to prove a point. Or just to, like, like sway public opinion. Um and uh, I, like that—that is—that is something I am—I am really enjoying about this campaign. Is like you know we've got some goody two shoes party members, um, but I am really enjoying kind of like the the cold logic of Alaric and kind of like the, the bastardness <laughs> of, of of Beauregard um, a, a lot. And um, and you know I, and like we, we're in uh, we're in America also have like the, their their own kind of neat emotional baggage to them. Rakax is. I like Rakax. I think he's sometimes a little bit of a wild card just to be a wild card. I, I think that that is true, too. Um, I was hoping I was hoping that he would become a little bit more grounded and in tune once he switched up orders and became a member of the Honorborn. Like, he might start thinking about problems in terms of, okay, well, what do I think Tonric and the Honorborn want me to do as I'm a representative of their organization now kind of thing. But I don't know that that's... I don't know that that's gonna happen. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think I think for at least for the most part, the characters are interesting and fun, and, and it's it's great because of that. Um, before we run out of time, um, do we want to talk about the game, the video games that we played this week? I know we both played a little bit of Tyranny. 
yeah, I also... I, do you want to make Tyranny its own cast? What? It, uh, I played one minute of Tyranny, which is a huge fucking lie. I played a really long amount of Tyranny. Um, um, I, but... Uh, I think Tyranny should be its own cast, but I don't think that should prevent us from talking about kind of like base stuff right now. Okay, fair enough. I haven't gotten too far into it. This is probably the best opening to one of these CRPGs that I've had. I tried to do both Divinity and Pillars of Eternity, but I kind of kind of got uh, I kind of got like sidetracked on stuff and I broke my game by accident uh in uh uh in Divinity, I don't really remember what it was for Pillars of Eternity. In Divinity, I accidentally attacked somebody and the and I had it like saved appropriately, and so the whole town aggroed against me, and I kind of kept getting killed over and over and over again. Um, and I couldn't accept a quest because the person I attacked was a quest giver because I didn't understand the UI. Uh, and so I just kind of like never went back to that game. <laughs> and uh, and pillars, I don't know, pillars also just kind of lost me because like I don't think the world was necessarily as gripping. Um, I played four hours of Pillars of Eternity actually, um, and uh, I kind of fell. I kind of fell out of it. But Tyranny, the the amount of care and the amount of time it takes, and and also the fact that it's so interesting um, in setting up your character and setting up your backstory, I that really just kind of grabbed me by the lapels, and I'm super super into it. Yeah, I, I really love that character creation sequence where there's an option to describe what you were doing at the, in the beginning of the campaign. I highly recommend that you do that um, uh, for, for people at home. Um, did, did you do that as well, like the kind of the, the campaign section? The, the the conquest? Yeah, yeah, like, yes. Yeah, I did, I did the full conquest. Yeah, I, I um, did as well. I, I thought those... That or, was... Well, not the full conquest. I, I haven't seen all of the different, like... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Things, uh, like branches. Uh, in fact, what were your what were your branches? How did uh, how did how did you go? Okay. So I um the only the only ones that replayed were the last set because they kind of play a little bit differently. But um, the uh, the first set I helped the I helped the chorus recruit. Then I used the chorus to infiltrate the city, and then I dueled the marshal, um, uh, which is kind of the disfavored art option. Then I was the governor of um of Lethian, um, and I did a couple different things there, but ultimately I, like, gave it to the disfavored, and then I went to, um, Stalwart, and, uh, I, I, uh, blew that shit up, um, the big, the big decision at the end being that I gave them time to evacuate ahead of time, um, but I replayed the shit out of that, out of that last decision, because, like, it always kind of ends with a big, disastrous result, um, no matter what you do for all three of the branches. And so, um, what, what, what did you do? Um, I'm trying to remember. I came to the bastard city, man. I wish I could like see it a little bit. I came to the bastard city and I think there was a, did you do the mages or the, uh, oh, that's the second step I think is the, I did I did not do the I did not do the infiltration. Um I did the um uh I did the one where like the disfavored I guess just regularly attack someone or something like that. Um uh, whatever the case may be, I, I did that. I took over uh I took over the bastard city um uh with kind of an eye towards the disfavored. A lot of my stuff I was the eye towards the disfavored. The second step I went to Apex um 
where I actually sold out the disfavored a tiny bit because there's like, uh, uh, like I, I split that one. I, I went one for the disfavored, one for the not disfavored. But then when the when it came around to beating to getting into the city, you could either do the Scarlet Chorus thing, which is where you're just such an asshole that you bait the queen into slapping you, and then that is a duel challenge, and then you kill her in a duel. Um, what I did was I I did the disfavored, which is where you just painstakingly brutally enforce a surrender um of just like tons and tons of diplomacy um and then i went to stalwart um and i also sold out the disfavored a little bit because i gave the disfavored like recruits or something to the scarlet chorus um but then i also uh geez uh but then I, I like the big decision at the end there with stalwart was you get the edict of storms right yeah um the big decision that i did was the disfavored one where you don't give them any time you just blow yeah. the fuck up yeah 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 man i kind of i kind of almost don't remember the specific decisions i was so like super into making those decisions at the time yeah i thought they were so neat and so interesting how far along are you in the game not very far along. Uh, there's that, like, first camp or whatever. I, I've picked up Verse. Um, wow. And where I put it down was I was just kind of, like, exploring Verse's conversation tree, but it is just so comprehensive. Yes. Oh, it, it is. Oh, my God. And I was just – and I, and I want to sit here and I want to read through all of it, but I also feel myself getting bored. Um, and so it's, you know – no, I, 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 I hate that about because I want to be the guy that reads everything, but I also do get bored at some point. So, Oh, man. Oh, so there is something that I want to mention for our listeners is that there is an option in the options menu to turn on the, um, like, what effect each speech option will have. I recommend you leave that off. Um, I think the game is so much more interesting when you're kind of, like, trying to read these people and make these decisions, not knowing how it's going to affect um, your reputations in various and sundry ways. Oh, really? There's a man. I haven't seen that. Oh, that sucks. Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess mine is off, so I'm fine. Yeah, no, I, it sucks that I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I saw it, and I'm like, yeah, should I? I'm like, oh, I'll leave it at its default. And then I, when I realized what it did, I was like, oh man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to play this with that on. That's just a little too, like. I think a big part of the fun of this game is is kind of like exploring these conversations and talking to these people and like, you know, being being the uh, what, what is, the oath binder fate binder being the fate binder, which is kind of like this this this, this judge dread level cop, you know, judge jury executioner, and like there there are like straight up uh, encounter like verbal encounters you will have where it'll be like, uh, you know. Decide this matter of law for us, fate binder. You're you're authorized to do that, um, and I I feel like that's like I feel like being able to 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 cheese that by seeing what each option would do would be not not great. I'm I'm I, I definitely think you should keep it off. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, did you play anything else this week? Did I play anything else this week? Uh, let's look. I finally loaded. Deus Ex Human Revolution. Uh, oh, we played our first Civilization multiplayer game. Oh, you're game. right. I forgot about that. Uh, yes. Yeah, how did you feel about that multiplayer game? I thought it was neat. How does it compare to your other experiences, actually? It's my, it's my the, so, the better version of that question. So, it's not the best experience I've ever had, um, which is kind of like... I, I think none of us are at the level where we need to kind of like hyper-optimize. I also felt that like... 
I felt that we were a little bit too static through the game. I felt like they're like we should have maybe pushed conflict earlier. I don't think anybody um, wanted to make the first move. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I agree. I, th I thought everybody was kind of being super, super scared. Um, uh, I th I think that like like I think that that we kind of just let Barry sit in the corner for too long and, and do his own thing like he's want to do. Yeah. Um, I think, I think uh, you know, it's funny, too. I think Barry's, a, you know, like, a good player, and if you kind of, like, leave him to his own devices, he'll just, like, get ahead and stay ahead. Uh, but I think it, we, it probably would have been smart for us to have ganged up on him pretty early. Yeah. Um, I think that's also a little bit of why I jumped so hard when Zhao was like, I'm going to go attack Mango, um, because it was, like, the first the first moment of conflict. Uh, yeah. Is, you know. That's fair. I, I felt I felt hamstrung, although maybe not hamstrung is not the right word, but I felt um, very reserved on doing any of that because I, I was playing India, and India gets a lot of bonuses if you're not at war. So I was very loath to be like, ah, hello, it's me, time to die. Um, but I do I do think with a little bit more, with playing a little bit more, um, we'll learn more about it and, and figure out how to play it more. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for... New players like Rohan to kind of get in on it. Um, the I, yeah, I, I think it'll. I think it'll be fun moving forward. I also do want to play. Um, there, there's. There, I checked. There is an option called hybrid, which when you're at war, it moves to turn based, which I think is or like sequential rather than simultaneous turns, which I think is is, is almost is like hyper necessary. Otherwise. Um, you end up with like what we did, which is like like racing to click as fast as we can to like gain the upper hand, which I, I don't like. That's not what Sims about. Um, and I I, I I I am excited to kind of move to like a better or to to move to what I would view as a better rule set, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I I feel that, and I think you are. I think you're a little bit right. Um, I'm also interested. To see what people look like on their best sieves, yeah. I guess, um, and to see, you know, because like I, I have a, I have a very big preference for a sieve, and I'm hoping that, um, <clears throat> I'm hoping that we can get into a world where you know, like everybody gets to choose their own, uh, their own sieve that they really like want to go go hard for. Um, I don't know, I don't know. I'm interested. Ready to go. Yeah, we'll have to play some more. Sometimes we'll have can, to play some more. Um, if you want to watch us know. play Civ, you can watch us at twitch.tv slash games. If you want emails and tell us what you thought of Doctor Strange or Tyranny or anything, you can email us at subdurvesplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and rate us on Facebook and iTunes and the SoundCloud and comment and subscribe, and we will love you forever if you do that. So please do it. Um, uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, did you want to promote anything? I did not want to promote anything. Go to see Act of Strange. Play Civilization Six with us. Yeah. Until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.